All right, it's Monday, like I always say. 11 o'clock, a new episode of the Chaz Palmateri Show. Welcome, everyone. Don't forget, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button. You want to comment, send your questions into Neighborhood Logic. You have a loved one you want remembered. I'll be more than happy to say it. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just want to, like, uh, have that feeling about you. You know, mention someone who you love that passed on, and it just keeps their life, uh, keeps their name alive forever. If you want to come and see my show, go to chazpalmentary.net. I am going to be, on March 3rd, I will be at the Empire Theater in San Antonio, Texas. April 1st, I'm going to be in Atlantic City at the Oceans Casino in the Ovation Room. Get your tickets now. I'm going to be back at the Paramount Theater June. What is the date on that, John? You know the date on that? It's not on the site yet, but the next show after that one is um, April 23rd in Englewood, New Jersey. That's right. April 23rd, Englewood, New Jersey. And what's after that? Then we have June 4th, which is Ridgefield, Connecticut. And June 4th, Ridgefield, Connecticut. That's right. I just, my mind just went blank. So go to net. Get the tickets because uh, we sell out really fast, and it's a great show. This is the show that started all before the movie, before the musical. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I've been doing the show for 34 years. This is our 30th anniversary of the movie. So I have a big surprise coming up, which I won't mention. But uh, send me your questions to Neighborhood Logic. Don't forget the girls will be with me again in a couple of weeks. Uh, Tara and Catherine. And everybody loves the uh, girls. They all love the girls, John. Some of the best episodes. Some of the best episodes. I, they, they keep getting offers for boyfriends. Look, get, let's get it straight here. Tara is married. That's it. Over. Now, Catherine, Catherine's single, but she's very, very picky. Catherine is very picky. So, but uh, I'll leave that up to her. They'll be coming up soon. So let's get to um, the Neighborhood Logic questions. It's Neighborhood Logic time. Okay, this is Marco Scalioni. Yeah, question. Hey, Chaz, I'm 20. I'm in a new relationship uh, for a little more than a year. We talk all the time. We talk about drugs. And I am totally against every drug, he says. So she tells me she has a thing and she wants to try cocaine. And I was very pissed because I tried talking her out of it. But she said, the more I tell her not to do it, the more she's going to do it. What should I do, Chaz? Well, wow. Look, drugs are never a good thing. You know what I say about drugs? For those of you, look, I tried drugs. Look, I did drugs. What, what can I say? When I was in my uh, 19, 20 years old, I tried drugs. I tried cocaine and all that shit and LSD and everything. Those are my days back in the 60s, you know. But drugs are 99 and 0. They win all the time. You want to fight drugs? 99 and 0. They never lose. That's all I can say. But here's what I got to say to you, Marco. She wants to try cocaine. Let her try it. What are you going to do? You can't stop her. She's a big girl. She's probably your age. Let her try it. 
sometimes people, they try it a few times, and they realize, you know what? No, this is not for me. And if she finds that she really likes it, and then you have to make a decision. But to tell her she can't do it, you sound like her father. And she's, she's going to do it. There's nothing you could do to stop her. So let her do it. Give her enough rope. And if she hangs herself, you move on. That's it. That's my, that's my answer to that. What do you think, John? That's a good, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it's a good place to, I mean, a good way to say it. Because I think Joey Diaz was saying it too. When you tell somebody not to do something, they always do everything but that one thing that you tell them not to do. Or they do the, you tell them not to do something. Right. And that's the thing that they want to do. That's what he was saying. Right. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, You tell somebody not to do it, they're going to do it. So I think uh, let her do it, Marco. See what happens. What can I say? That's that's the best answer I can give you. That's the best answer anybody can give you. I mean, when I did my thing with drugs, nobody could tell me not to do it. Nobody. When I was doing it, I thought I was cool. I was in a band. And then finally one day I got up. I uh, I don't know what happened. I, I think I was tripping at that time. I think I took LSD, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, I was in my early 20s, and... Um, I looked in the mirror and my face started falling off. You know, I don't know. I don't know. The LSD back then, John, was really strong. Scary. Scary. So the thing I don't like about drugs, especially LSD, do you imagine that if you get high, you know you're going to be high for like 8 to 12 hours? That's a long time. So when you took LSD back then, you had to say, well, what am I doing for the next 8 hours or 12 hours? It sounded like pot where, you know, a little while later you come down or drinking, you know, an hour later you feel better, you have a little coffee or something. No, LSD, that's a whole nother trip. You know what? I like to hear about people uh, who took LSD back then and any, any trips they had. So anyway, as I was saying, I, I took LSD and I was at a party once and I was sitting in a chair. I'm sitting in a fucking chair, right? At a party. And I look, and as soon as I sat down at the chair at the party, I'll never forget it. I looked, and everybody was dancing at the party, and I looked, and there was a clock right here. And I looked, and it said 5 to 7. And I went, wow, man, 5 to 7. You know, at night, people partying at this place. And then I just turned my head. I went back again, and it was 10 to 2. I couldn't understand that. It's like eight hours, seven, eight hours just passed. What the fuck was I doing in this chair? And I was like, holy shit, I've been in this chair a long time. Six, seven hours. Then I, I said, wow. And I looked up at the ceiling, and the ceiling had cracks in the ceiling in the Bronx, you know? And the ceiling was vibrating, was breathing, was going. And I said, oh, shit, I better go. I got up, I went into the bathroom, put cold water on my face. And I'll never forget it. I looked at my face. I'm looking in the mirror, and I grabbed my nose. And my nose just peeled right off in my hand. And I was like, you ugly bastard, you. And I'll never forget it. I said, that's it for me. And that was in the early 70s. And I never got high again after that. Ever. On anything. On anything. I don't even drink. I never drank anyway. But uh, that was it. I had a two-year run of drugs and... That was it. So, but anyway, anybody's ever taken a wild trip, I'd like to hear about it. All right. 
The next question is from Sam Carsona. Wait a minute. C-A-R-C-I-O-N-E? Carsone? Carcione? Carcione. Maybe. I, I could be wrong. Yeah. My dyslexia. You forgive me. Okay. My dad, Samuel Carsone Sr., a hardworking, proud teamster, local, blah, blah, blah. He committed suicide several, year, uh, several years ago. I send my condolences. I found him, and I can't say the pain I went through. I quit life for a few years. I'm not blowing smoke, but I was wasting my talent, just laying in bed, depressed, depressed in the mornings, watching your podcast. And remember, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. It slowly helped me get back on my feet. Thank you very much, sir. My question is, when you go through a tragedy like this, when you want to quit life, how do you cope with things to get back on your feet, to move forward? To move forward. Thank you so much, my Sicilian brother. God bless. Well, Sam, much respect to you, my friend. Thank you for if I helped you in any way. But always remember, it was you that did it. I just kind of maybe pointed you in the right direction. But you should be very proud of yourself. Finding your dad after he committed suicide. You know, God bless you, my friend. But you know, I think what you took out of that was is that it wasn't going to happen to you when you were going to change your life, Sam. And I, and I hope you, and it sounds like you have, but my advice to anybody who's been through hard times like this, and I've been through hard times, but never something like this. I mean, this is tragic. But the idea is to to make up your mind, to make your decision that you could help other people, try to talk to other people, look for a cause like, like suicide and try to help other people with that. Because you, you can speak from firsthand knowledge what you went through, the pain you went through. You know, the real, I, I always found that I always would get upset with people who committed suicide. I know that sounds dumb or something, but I think it's a selfish act because they're gone. And you're, you're not in pain no, no more, but you leave everybody else in pain. I can never understand how a parent could commit suicide knowing they have children. But I remember saying that to a doctor once, and he explained it to me. He said, Chaz, it's not their fault. They're not mentally right. And I I kind of understood what he said there. And I, I, I said, yeah, maybe I'm being a little tough on these people. And he agreed. Um, yeah, you know, I say that it's selfish, but obviously they're not right in the head. And the pain they must be going through, to choose that over that? Wow. I mean, they say when they speak to people who try to commit suicide, who live through it, like the people who jumped off, some people who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And as soon as they let go of the bridge, they knew it was a mistake. <laughs> and they wished they could stop it. And they lived, and none of them ever tried it again. They just turned their life around, you know? So I guess sometimes you do get a second chance. 
And if um, you have a parent or someone close to you that, you know, did commit suicide, I, my, my heart goes out to you, but you have your choice and the best of your ability to live your life. Don't let that define you or your family. They were mentally unsturbed, disturbed, but now it's your time to uh, make it right. Got to make it right. I think going to your point, I mean, yeah. I think it's important to take this lesson and help other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of people who have children abducted, they lose a child, they join groups with other children like that, you know, with people, parents like that. Yeah, I had a friend like that from high school too. His um, little brother overdosed on heroin and he went out to be a drug counselor and he started teaching kids about the the repercussions of using heroin and other yeah. drugs like that. And he's making an impact on so many people's lives after this tragic event. Oh, absolutely. If you go to uh, centers for drugs, all the counselors there are ex-drug addicts, every one of them, because at least they could talk to you and you would listen to them because they've been there. You know, you want to, I don't want to listen to somebody who's never been where I've been, who never seen the demons that I've seen. So ex-drug ex addicts make the best counselors. They could talk the shit, and that's what's important. All right, what's our next? Our next one is to John Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Conover. Shout out to Sonny. Hmm. A Bronx tale in reverse, sort of, he says. I wanted to write to you to ask you, please give a shout out to my late Uncle Sonny. Sonny was a huge fan of your work and introduced me to A Bronx Tale, which we watched together a dozen times. That's what he says. As I listen to your show each week because of his recent passing, I wanted to write you and your listeners so we could talk about the importance of positive role models in the world. For me, it was my father. Who's, who was the connected guy who was involved in organized crime, and my Uncle Sonny, who's the man who stepped in to teach me about talent, hard work, and being a good person in life. Wow. My father went on the lam after he was a, sus a suspect in a mob-related murder. It was my Uncle Sonny, the hardworking teacher, coach, mentor, who stayed around to make sure I grew up the right way. Sonny's influence made me a talented English teacher, screenwriter, husband, and father I am today. It's exactly like your story, but I feel I, feel, I, I am connected and understand how important it is to have a strong male model. Yes, it is. I think, I'm not saying that you can't raise a son or a daughter especially a son, without a strong role model, a male model. And I don't want to sound sexist. Can a, a single mother raise two kids, uh, raise a son? Of course she can. But boy, she better be as tough as nails. As tough as nails, man. Because uh, a boy needs a father. How do you feel about that, John? About can a, can a single mother, I guess you can, and you could be strong. There's a lot of uh, uh, some play, a lot of plays in the NBA who said they had a strong grandmother and mother that raised them the right way. So you can do it. 
But I think I just think it's twice harder with a male role model there. I think I think that helps a lot. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I do have a bunch of friends where their fathers walked out or they they passed away or something like that. But mm. going to your point, their mother was tough as nails. Tough as nails. I mean, that's the only way. That's the. I mean, that's the only way. Uh, I think Isaiah Thomas, he was a, uh, Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player, he said that his mother was, I think his grandmother and his mother raised him, and they were tough boy. You know, they did a study once about the kids in juvenile prisons and prison people. And I think 70, 75% of them grew up in a single parent and household. 75%? I mean, wow. I mean, I know me growing up, I mean, I had a mother and father. They were on me, man. And I grew up in the Bronx. My ass had to get upstairs at a certain time. My ass, I had to be home, man. And my friends who stayed out late, you know, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, they got in trouble. And I was pissed that I had to come home. I felt like a baby. You know, I mean, I was 11 years old, and my friends were staying out to old times, but I had to come home. That was it. So uh, I think it's important to have a strong role model in the house. If I'm not mistaken, too, I think 50 Cent had a similar story where his parents died or his dad walked out or something like that, mm. and he was raised by his grandmother. I could be wrong about that, but take somebody like that I mean, he grew up in um, Southside Jamaica, Queens, I believe. Right. And you had to have a tough parent to, to go through shit like that. Oh, yeah. All right, another name we're going to remember. Brett Wood. Hello, Charles. Love the show. My grandmother, Josephine Romano, passed in 2002 and was such a rock of support for me growing up. Miss her every day. I would love you to mention her on the air. Josephine Romano. We mentioned you today, also with Sonny and everyone else. You keep your memory alive, Josephine. Brett Wood sends his love to you, and we hope you're listening. You know, a lot of grandmothers were a big influence on people. You know, my grandmother, big influence. She was uh, nothing like her. My grandmother used to make the raviolis every Sunday, you know. My grandmother, Mary Anello. Mary Anello was my grandmother. Anello was my mother's, was my, uh, my mother's maiden name was Anello. If you remember Bronx Tale, it was Lorenzo Anello. I used their name in, in, the, in the movie. And she had all the raviolis on the bed, and I, she'd give me the fork, and I would have to make the end, all the ends, you know, so she could, like, boil them. I mean, I grew up in a stone-cold Sicilian house. I mean, I remember once my grandmother asked me to get some ice out of the um, refrigerator. So I walked over to the refrigerator. And back then, you had the ice cubes where you had to grab the handle and lift it up, you know? So I grabbed the ice cubes, and I see all these pieces of paper and the ice cubes sticking out. I go, what the hell? So I go, Grandma, what's this? She goes, oh, no, put that back. 
So I, I said, oh, wow, all right. So I put it back right away, and I took a clean one out without the paper. And we, I took out the ice, and then I went upstairs, and I said to my mother, because we lived on the, thir- on the fifth floor, I said, Ma, I just tried to take out some ice cubes, and Grandma got crazy. She goes, you didn't touch the one with the papers, did you? I said, yeah, w- w- what is that? She goes, oh, I'm glad you didn't touch it. She goes, those are all the people that your grandfather has a vendetta against. And he would write their names and put it in the water and then freeze it. And what that meant was they could never get ahead in their life from that moment on. Where their name was frozen, that's where they stay. That's serious shit, man. That's crazy. That's crazy, right? I mean, that's crazy shit. I actually wrote that in a movie because uh, I, I, I never forgot that story. But he would write, and then he would put it in the water and freeze it. My grandmother, my grandmother, she would do the urial, they call it. You know, you got, you got the water, and then she would get olive oil and put it on a pinky, then dip it into the, let it fall into the water and see where the, the circles went. And she would say, oh, my God, somebody has the maloki on you. And she would have to say a prayer. And at the end of the prayer, there'd be a knife over here on the side. And she would say a prayer and grab the knife and throw the knife, and it would stick in the wall. <laughs> I can't. I'm telling you, man, she would say, okay, everything's going to be okay now. Your headache's going to go away and it's going to be fine. Do you imagine that? I'm sure other Italians grew up like this. Please tell me you have, because I can't believe I'm the only one who's, my family was this crazy. What do you think would have happened if you used those ice cubes by mistake? Well, he would have been pissed, because I would have broken the thing, then we had to freeze him again. Well, he would have been pissed, yeah. But, uh, yeah, my grandfather, he had a, if he had a vendetta against you, he had vendettas against people in Sicily when he was here for 30 years. He talked about them over there, and he's yelling at, at my grandmother like it just happened. That beast, that, 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 you know, that, what do you say? That, oh, my God, he was. I feel like it, once you cross them, there's no coming there's back. There's no coming back, no. And my grandfather, my other, who I'm named of, Cologero, my, gr- my grandfather, he was another one. Same thing, man. Stone, same thing, my, my grandmother on my father's side. Bofante, that was their last name, it was Bofante. The Bofantes, tough. Sicilian, man. Wow. Well, well. All right, let's see. What's the neighborhood logic here? Dan C. He's talking about old school dancing. I just started to follow you on Instagram and saw your never forgotten post looking for old school family members. Well, what is he saying? The three men in my attached in the photo were old school. My grandfather Bernardo in the middle, my father Sal on the right, and my uncle Jack on the left. Oh. Yo, well, we we saying that we sent out to them. All right, we send out to these guys. There is a one moment in my life, these three great men. Three great men, old school. They old school, this guy. Wow, wow. Wow, I would learn the butcher shop. I would learn how 
The butcher shop helped families through the Depression when chopped meat was 25 cents a pound. Wow. They would, my grandfather would let them pay a nickel a week. Wow. Wow. Those are good people. Well, I have to say, I even try to keep their memories alive in my screenplay. Oh, he's throwing a pitch in there. My screenplay. The Last Butcher Boy. Well, God bless The Last Butcher Boy. Dan C., old school. You say, that's, it sounds like a great story. And I wish you much success with that screenplay, my friend. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Arlene Nielsen. Arlene Nielsen. Let's see what you got, Arlene. Any plans on having the play come back to California? I watched it in April of 2022 and loved it. Can't wait to take my siblings to the play. Uh, I don't see any California shows on your website. Well, I don't have any California shows on my website yet, but I plan on going back to uh, back there. To uh, I did a show in Newport. I think it was Newport in in, in uh, California, uh, Newport Beach, and it was great. I loved it. Um, but I will be back there. I promise, Arlene. I feel like you do very well in California, especially the L.A. area. Yes, I think so. What is this? This is from PCO Junior CPA. I enjoyed your program, Mr. Palmateri. How to be old school. Oh, that's right. He said the Chas Palmateri Show, episode 93. As indicated, please include my parents, Paul C. Addo, A-D-D-O. How do you pronounce that? Addo? Addo? Addo, Addo, something like that. Paul Addo, senior. Genevieve Otto in your memorial list. Both dad and mom were from Brooklyn. Their parents from Sicily and Naples, respectively. That's thank you from Paul Otto. Wow. All right, Paul. We send out our love to your parents there. Keep their name alive and uh, say a prayer for them because I'm sure they're listening to you, bro. Oh, let's see. Who's this? Horace. Horace, O. Portra, P O R R A S. Uh, let's see. We were just in the West Coast for the holidays, and went to say hello to someone who knew you quite well, who sends his regards. Oh, Joe Cortez, Joe Cortez, the Hall of Fame boxing referee. Joe Cortez, one of the great referees of all time. God knows how many championship fights he did. You know, I got to get. Joe Cortez on this podcast. Joe, if you're listening, you're in New York. I'd love to have you on the podcast. We could talk boxing. I'm a big boxing fan. My father was a big boxing fan. We both are. I'd love to get you on the show, Joe Cortez. Uh, Anybody out there who has a connection with Joe, please tell him. Send me an email at chaspalmateryshow at gmail.com. Okay. Wow. Joe lives in Las Vegas. Okay. Wow. Oh, wait a minute. He gives me his number. All right, Joe, I will contact you. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right, who else here? Oh, here we go. Andrew Fishman. 
Let's see. Andrew Fishman says, I'm a big fan of yours, Mr. Palmer, if you have a neighborhood logic question. Question. I need advice on what tools to use when dealing with rejection, whether it be from a woman or an audition. How to build a thicker skin and bounce back. Thanks for your feedback. Now, let's see. I mean, Andrew, the way you deal with rejection is that as soon as you get rejected, it's to try not to think about it anymore. You got to move on. You got rejected. I've been rejected a lot. When I started out in the business, oh, my God. I was Italian, I was too tall, I was too this, I was too ethnic, I was too dark, I was too light. God knows what I was. Everybody gets rejected, especially if you want to be an actor, you got to get rejected. You think every audition you go on, you get, Andrew? Nine nine out of ten of them, you don't get. It's normal to get rejected. Look at it that way. Now, rejected by a woman, we all get rejected by a woman. Everyone, at one time or another, sure. Whatever, the woman just, you know, you're not her type, right? Or she's dating someone at the time, and she, she's in love with someone. Maybe she just doesn't feel like going out with you. I mean, that's fine. So you just say, okay, and you move on to the next girl. Just because you get rejected by one girl doesn't mean you're going to... Now, if you start getting rejected a lot, then maybe you got to look at your approach a little bit when it comes to women. Am I saying the right thing? Am I saying the wrong thing? Do I look nice? Is my hygiene good? Do I dress nice? Do I come across like a gentleman? You know, I mean, give yourself a good assessment. Look at yourself. If you can't really get a date, you know... Um, you know, I think uh, there's always someone for you, no matter who you are. You don't have to be the best-looking person in the world, whether you're a man or a woman, you know. Got a good personality, you're a good conversationalist. You can always find someone that you can go out to dinner with and see how it goes from there. But just because you get rejected by a woman once or, or twice... It's hard for me. I've never been rejected by a woman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course I have. And um, it, it's not fun, but you just say, all right, well, why would you want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you? Think about that. I could never understand that. It, when I got older, I understood it. Like, I know guys, their girlfriends uh, broke up with them, and they're crying, and every day tries to call her. I said, listen to me. Do you have any self-respect, any self-worth? Why would you want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you? Why? You know, it's her loss. It's her loss. That's how I look at it. Okay, now, if you're fucked up, and that's why she doesn't want to be with you, then, you, you know, you got to try to make amends. But that's hard sometimes. Because once the trust is broken, oh boy, it takes a long time to get it back, bro. A long time. 
So uh, I think in terms of career, and I think you can relate with this more than anybody else, it's persistence. Because without persistence, a Bronx Tale would have never been made. Yeah. A Bronx Tale would have never happened without persistence. Without, let's even go back farther. Let's go back to my grandfather, Collodro, who was 13, 14 years old. He wanted to make it. So he, he got on a ship. I mean, come on. I mean, coming here, living a life, no money, working, raising a family. Then my mother and father in the Bronx then raised me. Now, if he doesn't make that trip, my grandfather doesn't come here, John. I'm not here. A Bronx tail is not here. So it's persistence. It's my father's persistence being a bus driver, not falling prey to the mafia when they wanted him to run numbers for them. It's my persistence that I wouldn't take no, I wouldn't take, I would not take no for an answer when I wrote A Bronx Tale. I, there wasn't, everybody wanted to do it, but they didn't want me. And I said, well, no, if I'm not going to be in it, then I don't want to do it. I mean. Had you not done that, you wouldn't have been where you are today. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I wrote Bronx Tale for me. I was going to play Sonny. I was going to write the screenplay. In fact, I don't say this. I haven't, did I ever say this? I'm the only guy. Does this sound like an asshole? I hope it doesn't. And I'm just stating the fact. I'm the only guy who ever wrote the one-man show starred in it, wrote the major uh, feature film starred in it, and wrote the musical and started it. You know, so I'm proud of my accomplishments. I have more stuff that I've written that I'm very proud of. Not as famous as Bronx Tale, but I'm very proud of all the stuff I did. But I'm most proud of my family. I'm most proud of being a father, of being a good husband to my wife, and being a good father to my son Dante and Gabriella. And I think that's what you got to look back on. You know, my friend Phil Folia, I always quote Phil, that's Phil over there, who passed away before... Uh, I started this podcast. It was actually his idea to do this. We were going to do it together. He was a great father, great man. And he said to me, you know what, Chaz? A man could win all the accolades and make a fortune in his life. But if he wasn't a good father, he was still a failure. And I never forgot that when he said that to me. Um, he was a smart guy. So what I say to you all out there, be a good father, be a good mother. Watch what you say in front of your kids because what you do is their memory for life. If you do something stupid and lose your temper and your child is seven, eight years old, they'll remember that. And they'll talk about it their whole life. So just think about before you say or do something stupid, especially in front of your children. Because the only thing you could be is there is a mirror so they could see themselves. If you are abusive to your wife, they will be abusive to his wife. If you, if you are mean to your husband and arrogant and uh, gossip, your daughter will be the same way. Be a good person. Be the best example that you could be. All right. 
Josh Palmateri show every Monday at 11 o'clock. Go to chazpalmateri.net. Sign in, please. Go to the sign in. Become a subscriber. Hit the like button. Uh, don't forget, March 1st, Arkansas. March 3rd, San Antonio, Texas, Empire Theater. April 1st is um, Atlantic City, the ocean uh, resorts. All right. What do we got? Bergen County after that? Right. I'm I think, looking right now. So the last one we did was San Antonio, Texas. Then we had Atlantic City. You just mentioned I that did one, Atlantic right? City. Um, and then April 23rd, you have Englewood, New Jersey. Englewood. I, I'm sorry. April 23rd, Englewood, New Jersey. What else? June 4th, Ridgefield. And June 4th, the Ridgefield Playhouse. And I'm coming back to the Paramount in Huntington. So you can still get tickets there in June, I think. So if you have any questions for the girls when they come back, Neighborhood Logic R-rated. It doesn't have to be R-rated. It, it could just be for the girls. Or for me, Neighborhood Logic. Uh, come on back. Or just someone you want to mention that passed away, uh, that you want to keep their memory alive. Chaz Palminteri at Gmail. No, Chaz Palminteri Show at gmail.com. Okay? God bless you all, and I will see you next Monday.